Hello, good morning everybody. Um, please do keep your Bibles open as we uh, get stuck into Matthew's Gospel. And this morning we're going to be thinking about um, what, are, what are Jesus' main priorities in his ministry. If you could try and sum up what he was, what he was all about, what are his big, big priorities, I wonder what you would say. Um, because people disagree um, massively on what they are. And if we head off down the wrong track, we can be completely uh, uh, well, flummoxed by what the Bible says and um, head off into some dangerous places. And what Matthew is doing for us here is, did you see there are three little sections? And we're still near the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. And in this section we see, this is Jesus beginning his ministry. He moves from Nazareth to Galilee, and it is here that we begin to see what he is all about. And these three little chapters, these three little um, paragraphs or sections, are three little pointers to us as to where Matthew's going to be going in the rest of the Gospel. So these are the headlines. It's like he's hitting the zoom out button on Google Maps. He's just taking a step back and just let me, let me give you a big picture of it all. These are the big themes. They're going to come up again and again in his gospel. But let's just get in our heads from the beginning. What are the big things that Jesus is all about? And I guess the simple question for us as we think about those is, is that the Jesus who we love and worship? Uh, do we see these priorities that he wants for us in our lives? And that is what we're going to check this morning. Um, luckily, I've sort of managed to make them into three Ps, which helps us remember. Um, and they're preaching, people, and power. And each one reflects a little section uh, in there. And before we dive in, it, um, we, we might say to Matthew, who's teaching us today, um, preaching, people, and power, we might say... Well, what, what are so special about these things? Because there have been plenty of great preachers and teachers who have come along. What makes Jesus so special? There have been plenty of, of people who have been leaders of people, whether military might, or people of influence, or wealth. What makes Jesus so special? And there have been plenty of, of people with great power as well who have... Um, done incredible things, seemingly even greater than Jesus, we might say. What makes Jesus so special? And let's just try and get into Matthew's mindset. He is, he is Jewish and primarily writing for a Jewish audience. We know that in his gospel because he quotes the Old Testament loads and loads more than anyone else. And he's constantly pointing people back to the Old Testament to say, look, the Messiah was promised here. Look, He's here. His name is Jesus. All the time, that's what he's doing. He wants the, the Jewish community to see Jesus is their saviour. And he quotes this amazing bit in Isaiah, uh, verses 15 and 16. And it, it foretells that he's going um, uh, to move from uh, to uh, Galilee, by the Sea of Galilee. And Capernaum was the, the city that was by the sea. It's where Jesus lived for much of his ministry. And then in verse 16, 
The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death on them a light has dawned. What Matthew is is saying to us in all these areas, which by themselves might not seem particularly impressive, he's saying if you think you know a great preacher, you've not seen anything yet. If you think you've met someone who's, who's a good leader or good with people, you've not seen anything yet. If you think you've come across power, you've not seen anything yet. All the teachers and the leaders and the powerful people, all the best they are is darkness and darkness. Jesus is light in the darkness in all those areas. And that is what Matthew is saying. He's saying, look, for centuries we've been struggling. We've not known what to think. We've not done what we were supposed to. We've lacked power. And Jesus is here and he's the game changer. We see that in the temptation of Jesus before. We saw last week something that's not been able to be done before. Jesus resisted the temptation of the devil fully. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through each of these and take them one by one. And starting with preaching. Now we see this in verse 17. Amazing, this is Jesus starting his ministry. What is, what is he all about? Matthew says, from that time Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand Jesus was a teacher Jesus wants to win the minds of people he wants to give us truth he wants us to know how the world works how to think and what is true and and Jesus disciples knew this they called him teacher didn't they it was their most common name for him Um, It comes up uh, a bit later in verse 23 as well. And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. The synagogues were primarily a place of teaching and learning. And proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus was a man about teaching and proclaiming and preaching. Now we are people who are constantly being told stuff. We've been told what to think, how to think, what to do all the time from many different places. Through our schooling, through our TV, through our social media, um, through the internet. All different kinds and in all different ways and constantly, all the time. And Jesus comes along and teaches and it's very different. We might hear things like uh, about what... A common message today is success. If you work hard enough, you will get your dream. Now, there's some truth in that, but it's not true, is it? If your dream is to win the Tour de France, it would help if you had a bike to start off with um, and be in your sort of be a young person. That might help too. Have a team around you, be able to train. Um, Hard work does not guarantee. There's some truth in that, but it is not true. Or another thing is that in our culture today, people say the most important thing about religions is that they all sort of agree and that we all get on. Now, there's some truth in that, isn't it? It's good to get on. But they don't all agree. That is a false thing. And Jesus comes along and says stuff like, 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we go, no, no, that can't be right. Because on Facebook yesterday, I saw a post which says, no one should tell you what to do. You be your own person and live how you want. And Jesus is saying, repent. I can tell you what to do. I should tell you how to live. And if you're anything like me, I go into sort of grumpy, stubborn teenager mode. And when I, I don't know if it was because I was a teenager when I first discovered Jesus' teaching, um, but I'm still like it now. But when I discover particularly things that were new, for weeks and months, I'd be saying to myself, no, that can't be right. Jesus has got that wrong. Um, and for the next three chapters of Matthew, by the way, all we're getting is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6 and 7. Just have a look over. Verse 6, blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That can't be right, can it? Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted. That can't be right, can it? All the time, Jesus is saying things that are so countercultural to us, and our instinct is to go, no, that can't be right. But if you're like me, and you know what Jesus is like, you know his gentleness in your life, that he's sort of, he, I've known him wear me down over time, gently persuading me of his goodness, and I think, okay, I'll, I'll taste, I'll try it on, I'll see if this is true. I'll believe in it and test it. And it's always wonderful. And it's always good. And it always rings true. It always makes sense of, of everything in life. And I know it's goodness. And it's wonderfully encouraging when people come to know Jesus. What, they often, what often comes next is they grow in a hunger to learn from him. They want to know what Jesus teaches. They want to know who God is. What is like? And I love it when people ask awkward questions because they want to learn. How does the Trinity work? What does Jesus say about this? This is happening in my life. How should I think about it? That is good. And the question for us is, who do we want to teach us? We're being taught all the time. Do you want to be taught by... Do you want to be clickbait on the internet? Do you want to be just money in the hands of the, the advertising companies who want us to click on the things on social media, or who want to sell us newspapers, or who want us to, to binge watch their TV shows on Netflix, or would you rather learn from the one who will die for you and who loves you? It's so encouraging, isn't it, that actually reading the Bible becomes so important. Seeking out faithful preaching where we can learn what Jesus says. Opportunities to, to grow and, and ask questions. To be with other Christians. And to grow in our knowledge of Jesus' teaching becomes incredibly valuable to us. And those things grow. big priority in Jesus' ministry is that he wants to preach to us. And the second thing is people. We see this in verses 18 to 22. It's a funny little story. And on first reading, it, there might not seem much to it. But if we look at the details, what we'll see is 
No one else does people like this. Only Jesus can do this. What we learn is Jesus, when he calls people, it is personal and direct. We see Matthew names two brothers, Simon and Andrew. Jesus knows them. They were fishermen. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. His call has a deep purpose to it. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus invites people to take part in his mission from the word go. They didn't even know what that meant at that point. They didn't really do that for years after. But Jesus said, this is what I'm calling you to anyway. And the strange and sort of unnerving bit of this is in verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And the same thing happens again with the brothers James and John, sons of Zebedee. Verse 22, Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And it's a bit spooky. Jesus says, follow me. We don't know how much of a relationship they had before. Maybe something, maybe nothing. But they leave their family, their father, their business, their livelihood, their security, their safety, their familiarity, their hometown, all they've known. They just leave it. And immediately, they go with Jesus. Jesus calls people and knows people in a way like no one else does. He is light in the darkness. And Matthew, with the Old Testament in mind, is, is the Old Testament is full of stories of God calling people to repentance and obedience and consistently, ordinary people, the majority just don't do it. And they fail. And Matthew is saying, look at this. Here is hope. Here is one who can call us and help us to obey. Only Jesus can conquer the sinful heart. Um, The last one, preaching people and power. And here we see this in verses 23 to 25. And we see this primarily through Jesus as he healed people. So we see, we're reminded again that Jesus is teaching in the synagogues, he's proclaiming the gospel, and he's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, if you've got the best medical team in the world together, um, and the, in the best hospital, the state-of-the-art equipment, and you, you took people with a variety of illnesses and affliction, even today, those medics would have to say, quite frequently... We're sorry, there is nothing more we can do. Jesus never said those words. Jesus never said, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. Jesus always had complete power over the spiritual realm and the physical realm in every way. And this was so amazing at the time that fame spread even to the neighbouring country in Syria, which is quite something. And even some of the diseases are names, uh, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralysed people. 
And it was so impressive that great crowds came to follow him from all over the country, the Decapolis, the ten cities, and from Jerusalem even, and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Um, now this is a display of great power. Now the, the question that we always come back to with this is um, the question of healing. And I'm going to take pause here for a moment and, and take a minute on this because... Matthew's gospel in particular uses a lot of the healing narratives. And when we, we want to ask the question, well, what about today? Is Jesus healing people today? Um, so to help us, I've had a look through Matthew's gospel. And I've tried to ask, when Matthew talks about these healing, people, uh, healing miracles, what has he got in mind? And what we see from Matthew's gospel is that there are several reasons why... Jesus heals people. And I just want us to get a a feel for this, not to try and answer the question, but just to give us some data that we can continue to think about, and it will come up again. So one big reason is Jesus is just really compassionate. You see that in Matthew 14. In fact, this comes up four times in the Gospel. When Jesus sees people who are sick, he has compassion on them. It's a wonderful thing. And the same is true today. Jesus still has that same compassion on people. But it's not as simple as, if Jesus has compassion on me, and I ask him to heal me, therefore he must. It's not as simple as that. There is more going on. Uh, And this is what Matthew is drawing out for us. So the next one... This is in the story of when Jesus heals the paralysed man. Jesus says, For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. The reason Jesus healed the paralysed man was he, he wanted to heal him, he had compassion on him. But primarily, he wanted the people there to know that when he says the words, your sins are forgiven, his voice has the power to deliver that to reality. So the healing is proof that Jesus has authority in the spiritual realm to forgive sins. Do you see, it's a bigger picture for us. And that is true in our passage here as well. We are told about Jesus' healing immediately after Jesus' preaching. And that is common in Matthew's Gospel, that preaching is held up alongside healing. In that when we see the power of Jesus' healing, we associate that with the power of his preaching, of his word. Um, Just a couple more ones for us. There's a strange bit in Matthew 9. When Jesus healed a blind man, he said their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. If Jesus' ministry was primarily about healing temporary physical conditions he would have wanted fame to spread about that so more could come and more could be healed but that is not the case he didn't want that he wanted to preach and to teach that the kingdom of God is coming that people can have their sins forgiven so that people can spend eternity in heaven with him enjoying him with no physical pain or suffering. Not just a temporary relief 
from pain and suffering now, although that is a good thing. And we see it again in Matthew's mindset. Remember, for a Jewish reader, Jesus cast out demons and spirits and healed the sick. And then at the end here, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So as we see and read about Jesus' healing, we're to think this is the promised Messiah who has been promised in the Old Testament. Now let me tell you, this is really good news for us. Because all that healing ministry that we see confirms to us Jesus' word has power. And we have that word now in the teaching that we read in the Bible. That has power. If it was just about healing, we would be frustrated. Because people pray for healing. And sometimes it is granted, sometimes it doesn't. It's a good thing to pray for healing. But we are not, we, don't get a, we never get a guarantee in the Bible that we will be healed from temporary physical ailments now. And a reflection of that, uh, and, and people wrongly say, well, you don't have enough faith. That is unhelpful and not true. And in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says he has a thorn in the flesh. He prays for it to be removed, and God says, no, Paul had enough faith. Yet there was a good reason why he wasn't healed. Read about it in 2 Corinthians 12. Um, we can come back to this and we'll talk more about it. So let's talk to each other. I hope this raises questions for us. But the big thing is, Jesus has power to do what no one else can do. And here is the, the wonderful thing for us. As we see all these three things together. As we see Jesus preaching, his his love for his people and his power we see those same three things at work today he wants us to learn from him how to think and how to live he wants to call us by name he wants to know us personally and he does these things with great power in a way that no one else can do and the great thing is as I look at these I know I need all three if one was missing, it wouldn't be enough. If, if, if I knew that Jesus loved me and he had power to save me, but I didn't know what that was like, what he, how he wanted me to think, how he wanted me to live, I'd be lost still. If I knew what he wanted to say, if I knew what he said and I knew he had power, but he didn't love me or call me, I'd be lost still. If I knew his preaching and that he loved me, but he had no power, I would be lost still. But as we keep all these three things together, as we journey through Matthew's gospel, we hold on to those and we know that this is the Christian life. That we continue to learn from what Jesus says. We continue to know that he calls us by name and he wants us for himself. And we continue to know that he does that with a power that is beyond us, that truly saves I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the ministry of Jesus. We thank you that we can see all these things reflected in our world still today. 
And then we pray that these would be present in our church. That you would teach us. That you would call us. And that you would have power in our lives to do things that we cannot do ourselves. We pray all this in your name. Amen.